Where's my pen? There we started. <laughs> He's trying to cover it up by nodding his head. Welcome to the Let's Talk About God podcast. Dad's still trying to find his pen. We're going for it. I found it. <laughs> I'm trying to like mix it up. I still said welcome to the Let's Talk About God podcast, but it's your it's your trademark. It's now. my trademark, but we had a little bit of uh it was mixed up a little bit at the beginning. So glad that everybody is listening today. Um, how's it going right now? How's life? Uh, it's good. It's hot because when we're recording this, it's July and ugh, it's just humid and it's miserable. And we live in South Carolina. And so if you're going to get anything done, you have to get up early and mm-hmm. break a day and do it. And then about 10, 11 o'clock, it's just you quit and say it's it's horrible it's miserable and i have a sprinkler head that broke and i've got to fix it and i can't get to it till some probably sometime this evening and so i'm going to wait till the sun gets down and it starts cooling off and go out there with a shovel and start digging i mean that's just how it is but that, mm. that's hey it's living in the deep south yeah sounds like a good time how about you How's, how are things going for you oh it's, it's great it's great right now um really just ready for basketball to be back we're in a sports vacuum now. There's no football. There's no basketball except for summer league. There's baseball. There's baseball. Yeah. We just and who had wants the, to watch that? Uh, and we just had the all-star break, so yeah. we got about it in the second half. But if I know, if I understand right, NFL football preseason camps start very soon, and then your preseason games will start. At least we get something in August, happens. I think. Yeah, okay. so you'll get some football, yeah. preseason fo- football, and then we are 49 days away, at least at our time of recording. By the time these people are listening to this, our listeners, um, they're getting, we'll be even closer. Yeah. We are 49 days away from Clemson Tiger football. Oh, I can't wait. Who's the first game? Who are we playing? Georgia Tech. Ooh, might be good. It's going to be ugly. Oh yeah. It's just, but then the next game's Texas A and M. Uh oh. So I wonder if we have any listeners in Texas, any Texas A and M fans. Man. We might have some Georgia Tech fans. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. We do have some Georgia Bulldog fans. Absolutely. So but, I think uh, I'd rather be a Bulldog fan than a Georgia Tech fan. No offense, but they seem to be doing a little bit better right now. Yeah. Than Georgia Tech in the past few years. Well, they're rebuilding, so they might they might turn into a powerhouse. Who, Who knows? knows? Who, Who knows? knows? But I'm ready for the sports vacuum to be over because right now we are in sports hell, which leads me into our conversation today about hell. Um, no, today we we actually are talking about hell, everybody's favorite topic when it comes to Christianity. They love talking about hell and money. Um, but we really wanted to discuss hell today um, because it is a key part of Christianity um, it's a key part of understanding our faith, of understanding uh, who God is. And so even though it can be a little bit uncomfortable, it's not the happiest topic at times, we need to discuss hell. So as usual, let's give the short definition, what is hell? I'm just going to say that hell, when it's all said and done, is the final resting place of the uh, unrepentant wicked, and it's a place of torment, of flames, of fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, um, and is the place of God's wrath on people who do not choose him. Give me your 30-second definition of hell. I, I think you wrapped it up. The place of the dead, um, uh, and, and at this point, now this is where already, see, you've already got me, got you going. You got me going, because up until, all right, let's do it this way. We'll, we'll come at it from a theological approach. Up until the resurrection of Jesus, it was the it was the place of all dead. Mm-hmm. And then after the resurrection of Jesus, it is the place of the wicked dead. Yeah. Okay. Not the righteous dead. Yep. So we'll, we'll explain that in a minute. Yep. So that would have that would have to be my definition: is that it is the place of those who have died and are wicked. It's an un, it's the unseen world that's in the heart of the earth. And that's where you go when you cease to live in this life. So in in reference to those, I mean, in reference to where the unrepentant wicked dead go, because that's what most people think of when they think of hell. Why do we need to talk about it? Why is it important to Christianity? Why can we not just sort of 
erase it, not talk about it, avoid it? What part does it play in the overall Christian message? Well, first of all, it's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So it's a very biblical concept. It's all the way to Revelation. Mm -hmm. Uh, We find the purpose of hell in the Bible. We also find um, the end of hell. Uh, Hell's thrown into hell. Boy, that might get everybody's attention now. <laughs> One of these days, hell will be thrown into hell. We'll explain that in a minute. So it's it's in the Bible. It's important. Jesus talked about hell. Um, we weren't we as human beings weren't intended to go to hell, but unfortunately, the Bible makes it clear that there that it can be if you're unredeemed, not born again, if you're in sin and you choose to stay in sin. It it will be the resting place. It will mm-hmm. be the place where you spend eternity. These are sobering thoughts. Now, there are people who will say, oh, come on, this is where the Bible gets out in left field. This is where the Bible is now mythological. Yeah. This, 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 is, this is fairy tale stuff. This is um, Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. Now you're just making <laughs> up you know, fiction, horror fiction, and so they want to say there isn't a hell. Well, maybe those same people say there isn't a heaven, and some people believe that. Some mm-hmm. people are atheists, believe you live, you die, and you go, in the, you go back in the earth and you're dirt, and that's the end. But the Bible says that eternity is in our in our hearts. There's we were created to live. Everybody's created to live forever. And when mm-hmm. you die, you're going to live forever somewhere. Yeah. And those two somewheres are heaven and hell. I would say, and two, it's so important to the Christian message because we have to ask if Jesus is our Savior, what's He saving us from? You know, and and obviously He's saving us from our sin, but sin brings judgment and death. Right, and, it's the judgment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's it's central to the Christian message because that's in a way what we're escaping. We're escaping hell and judgment and torment and all of those other things. And so we can't uh, get rid of it, or else we, you know, we run the risk of calling Jesus our Savior, but we don't know what He saved us from. Well, if you're a criminal and but you're getting to live in this world and live in your and, and commit your crimes, uh, you're loving it. You're loving this world, and you're loving committing your crimes. Mm-hmm. But the day comes when you get caught, and then you get taken out of this life, this world that yeah. you've been living in, your home, your community, your friends, and they're going to put you in prison where you will never see those people again. You will never live in this world again. If you say you're put in for life, it's over. And that's it's a similar concept is that hell is the, the prison. It's the punishment. And you never see your friends and loved ones again unless they too are sinners. Uh, but you're, you're separated from God, and you're mm-hmm. separated from you know, what makes hell horrible. Um, and we we may talk about you know some of the characteristics that the Bible uses to describe hell, the flames and the torment, et cetera. But for me, is that you will never experience God again. Now I, we'll we'll just come off the bat here and throw something that'll get people thinking. David said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And then watch this. He said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Mm. You know, God God is God. God fills everything. If God's not there, then God's not God. Yeah. Okay, but that doesn't mean that God is hell or validates hell. It just means that because God it fills all in all and all reality falls within God because he is all, then all in all. That God's there, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel him. doesn't mean his presence is known or is ma- made manifest. Manifested, right. Yeah. And so I've told people, if you're a sinner, but you go to church, and you go to a Pentecostal spiritual church like ours, and you come to church, you won't get right for God, but you like what you feel. You like, you like it. And even the conviction, conviction is a work of God in your mm-hmm. life. It may not be pleasant, but at least you're convicted. And you know that God's there. But when you go to hell... There's no more conviction. The judgment has been passed, and there are no more goosebumps, and you're not going to hear Christian music and and watch other people get blessed, and it's going to kind of thrill you and excite you, even though you're living in sin and you're warming yourself off of somebody else's fire. Those days are over, yep. and you'll never feel God again. To me, that's what makes hell so horrible. It's final. Never feel the presence or know the presence of God again. Yeah. And there's no more salvation. Like, yeah. Right now you have hope, but once you go down. So, yeah, this is a sober, serious topic, mm-hmm. and I think it's good we talk about it. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, as we hop into it, I think it's clear already that we see some distinctions when we talk about hell. So let's start with the Old Testament concept of hell. The Hebrew word there would be the word sheol. Sheol is the Old Testament concept of the afterlife. Um, The descriptions that you get is that it's a dark, distant place, that it's below the earth, that it's that it's quiet, that it's separated. And in the Old Testament, you don't really see um, the, the, uh, a difference between where the righteous and the unrighteous go. It's just Sheol. Just I think there are everywhere. nuances there, but they're subtle. They're very subtle. And, and so you see this, this idea of Sheol that people are going to, and it doesn't seem to be a pleasant place. It's not necessarily that we see it being eternal conscious torment like we would understand it now. But it's still dark. It's gloomy. It's not the place that people want to go at all. And then it's in the actually in the intertestamental period. So that's the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament that you begin to see um, actually teachings arise that plug into that nuance that say, okay, there's actually a difference in Sheol in hell where the righteous go and where the unrighteous go. And so you actually begin to see people um, point that out, and then the New Testament eventually shines light on that truth then. Yeah, Jesus actually does, yeah. and it's in um, uh, in a parable. And I don't. it's not actually a parable. I like to say it's a story. So he doesn't say it's a parable. So I think it's a story. It's in Luke chapter 16, beginning of verse 20, mm-hmm. and it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And you and I were discussing this before we started the recording, the podcast, that this story is so pivotal because it helps to confirm what was happening in that intertestamental period mm-hmm. when they were beginning to understand, you know what, God just doesn't stick all the, the righteous and the unrighteous dead in the same place. Yeah. There's there is a difference. Well Jesus said, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna validate it and I'm gonna expand on it for you. So he tells the story of a rich man who fared sumptuously and had everything in the world, but he didn't live right. He didn't serve God. And then a beggar named Lazarus sat outside the gate of his compound or estate and begged for crumbs. But Lazarus served God and was righteous. It just happened to be that he was poor, and it just happened to be that this other guy was rich. Mm-hmm. Well, they they both died, and the rich man went to hell. And he didn't go to hell because he was a rich man. He went to hell because he was an unbeliever. Lazarus also dies and goes to hell. Sheol or Hades. Now, let's just point this out. Hades is the New Testament Greek word for Sheol, the Old Testament. So they're the same place. They essentially reference death. Right. Death and the grave. Death and the grave, But it's also a place, and Mm -hmm. this is what Jesus teaches us, all right? So when Jesus tells this story, he says that they both go to Hades or Sheol, which are the same word. Yeah. All right? Then he describes it. There is a lower... Sheol or Hades, and an upper Sheol or Hades, and there's this great chasm, think the Grand Canyon, that separates the two, and there's no bridge, so you can't get from one to the other, all right? Lower Sheol or Hades is where the rich man is, and he describes it as a place of torment, as a place of punishment for the wicked, and and, and you're separated from God by sin and by death, mm-hmm. okay? And he says that he's in the flames and uh, I'm suffering, and so it's it's not pleasant, okay? But then there's their upper Sheol or upper Hades, which is he called – Jesus gives it a name, Abraham's bosom. Now, what, is that, what does that mean? Why would he call it Abraham's bosom? Well, because Abraham was the father of the faithful, mm-hmm. okay? And and so it was – and to be in Abraham's bosom would be that you're, you're in the seat – of the faithful. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. So I'm sitting in the seat of those of faith, and I walk in the line mm-hmm. of faith. Abraham, who was righteous, Abraham believed God and was credited him for mm-hmm. righteousness. You're a child of Abraham, in a sense. Right, yeah. and a believer in God. Mm-hmm. And so everybody who was righteous and believed in God and had faith in God for their salvation, okay, because by grace you're saved through faith, and that was still true in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. too. In the Old Testament, everybody looked forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we look backwards to the cross. Yep. Okay. And so when those people died, they went to upper Hades or Sheol, also called Abraham's bosom. It was a place of comfort. There were no flames, no torment, okay? I, I have no idea beyond that what was there. Maybe they had ESPN and Possibly. couches and 
refrigerators. No, they didn't have all that back then. But <laughs> but we know that that it was a place of no torment, and it was it was a, it would be a happy place. Okay, but it almost seemed as if there was a way to look across the gulf into hell. I don't know. There's almost an implication there. Okay, but that's when we begin to understand that that, that there are two two places when talking about hell. But here's what's significant. Lower Hades was the place where of the people who were separated from God by sin and death. Upper Hades, or hell, is the place where people were separated from God by death because they were righteous. Mm-hmm. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so, so now we get a little bit better understanding of what hell is. All right, so here's the next thing we got to talk about because I know we want to sort of focus on the bad part of hell. Yeah. The lower Hades. So let's kind of tell the rest of the story and conclude upper Hades. Okay. Here's what we understand. When Jesus came and died on the cross and then rose from the dead, so that was a process. There's a victory process that's happening. In those three days of when he died, scriptures tell us, you have to piece this together, that when Jesus died, his spirit, his body laid in the tomb, but his spirit descended into the heart of the earth and went into upper Hades. Okay? Now you say, how do you know that? Well, there's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, mm-hmm. where Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18. And here's what it says. It's, it's talking about Jesus. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. So he took a group of people that were in captivity, mm-hmm. freed them, and took them captive with him. So his captivity is always a good thing. Yeah. All right. The captivity they were in was a bad thing. Yeah. But boy, Jesus can take me captive to heaven anytime he's ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in captive captivity to him anytime. <laughs> you know. So he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then verse nine says, "Now this quote he ascended unquote." What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So here's what Paul is understanding. And you got to remember, Paul was caught up into the third heavens and got revelation directly from Jesus that nobody else got. Yeah. He, he was caught up into paradise. Okay. So he learned all these mysteries that nobody else knew. That's why Paul's a very important person in the New Testament, wrote half of the New Testament. So what, what, what Paul is saying is that when Jesus died, his spirit, he went into the heart of the earth. He went into upper Hades, upper, upper Sheol. Mm-hmm. And all these people have been separated by God. Well, he's conquering death. He chases down the devil who had the keys of death and says, give them to me. Snatches it from him says, you're not in control of death anymore. I'm conquering mm. death. I hold the keys of death and hell. Wow. Okay. Did, did you notice what I said? The keys of death and hell. So he has the keys of death and the keys of Hades, where Satan controlled Hades. Now, Jesus has the keys, all right? He goes over and unlocks the door, essentially, metaphorically, yeah, this is, to, yeah. to free all the righteous people. And so he goes in and preaches to these spirits of men, the righteous men, and and, and you got to think it starts with Adam and Eve and goes on all the way to... Uh, to, to the last righteous person that died before he did. Mm-hmm. And he goes in and he says, I am the one you've been looking for. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. I'm the one that was going to be born of the virgin in Bethlehem. So Isaiah's in there like, Isaiah makes sense. Isaiah said, he's the, he's it. <laughs> I recognize him. He's the suffering servant. Yeah. Look at the nail prints in my hand. Mm-hmm. Look at look at the spearman. You know, however that happened, and I don't know if that manifestation was there because you say well, his body was in the tomb, but yeah. somehow, but he conveyed to them. Of course, he was God. It's not like he was just another person. He comes in as well, the fact that he broke in, anyways. I think validates it. <laughs> he's God. They know he's yeah. God, and he tells them, "And I have secured the salvation for you. If you believe on me, I'll take you out of this place, and I'm going to take you to be with me in heaven." Mm-hmm. And everybody in there, as far as we know put their faith in him. They'd already been put. Now that they're now they, they see him and he takes every person out of upper Hades to heaven. And now what we understand is that when, from that point on, when you die to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. You don't go into 
upper Hades. You go straight to heaven to be with Jesus because he now holds the keys and he says, I don't want you there. Now you're going to be, I've conquered sin and I've conquered death. So you don't have to be separated from God by death anymore. Okay? Now, can we have a little bit of fun with this? Oh, about bop the mic off. About knock the mic off. <laughs> Get so excited. Let's have a little fun with this. So what is the time period after Jesus, between Jesus' death and resurrection that you would say that he went and retrieved the dead? Because on the cross, right, he says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. I think it happened immediately after he died. And I think, here's why. Um, Jesus died, um, Jesus hung on the cross from twelve to three, uh, from 9 to 3, mm-hmm. okay, um, six hours. And the, the, the Hebrew days start in the evening. The evening and the morning were the first day, is what the Bible says in Genesis mm-hmm. 1. So where we go 12 midnight to 12 midnight, the Hebrew concept was 6 o'clock in the evening to 6 o'clock the next day in the evening. That's your daytime. Yeah. So it is about to be the next day, which would be the Passover, and you're going to celebrate. The, the, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, did not want Jesus' body hanging on the cross. So by 6 o'clock, they wanted those bodies off the cross because mm-hmm. they were going to have a Passover feast. If Jesus died at 3... And then the thieves died, the two thieves died on the cross somewhere in the next three hours. It would seem that it happened in that three-hour span that as soon as he died and gave up his spirit, gave up the ghost, the Bible says, that he went directly in the heart of the earth and took them out. And the reason we say that is because he said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say today you will be with me in in Abraham's bosom. Mm -hmm. So... Jesus secured the place, and so it's very, very possible that the thief on the cross, two things either happened. Either the thief on the cross died, and then he went into upper Sheol and then went with Jesus when he led captivity captive. Mm -hmm. I tend to think that Jesus went there and freed those people immediately and went to heaven, took them to heaven with him, and then stood before the Father and said, I have done what you said. I have paid the price. Redemption has been accomplished and now is applied. And here's the first fruits. Man, think about that day when they all went to heaven. Think about the angels. They had a party in heaven. Oh, yeah. And then the thief dies, and I think he is the first one that when he dies, instead of going into the heart of the earth, he goes up into heaven, and he may have been the first one to walk through the gate, the first one that gets to enjoy this new freedom and redemption that to be absent from the body is now to be present with the Lord. And can you imagine how they celebrated him when he walked in through the pearly gates? Wow. That's crazy. It's something to think about. But, you know, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, you know, if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. So that takes care of upper Hades. So mm-hmm. when we talk about Hades, that's kind of an interesting concept to yeah. know that now we're – so where does that leave us? Where that leaves us is that there's just lower Hades. Yeah. So if you're a born-again believer and you die, you go to heaven. If you're a sinner who's rejected Christ, you go to lower Hades or lower Sheol, Mm -hmm. which has been now in existence for thousands of years, and you can imagine the number of people there. And it just keeps increasing because every day there are people who die in their sins, and unfortunately— they have to have to wake mm-hmm. up in a devil's hell, and it's just horrible. And so the 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 Hebrew term for this e- eternal place for those who are going to hell would be Gehenna, correct? No, no, no. Gehenna would be so. Just to be clear, Gehenna would be the second death. Yes. Right? So and, that I'm skipping to the end here. Yeah, right. Now, I'm not talking about lower Sheol, but where everybody is going to end up. Eventually. And yeah. that's why some people, that's why we wanted to talk about this today, mm-hmm. because some people don't know there there are actually two different hells. And, and But can we talk about Tartarus before we get into this? Yeah. There is a third word that is connected with the concept of hell, and it is the Greek word Tartarus. And Tartarus, there's actually in Greek mythology, you can study about Tartarus in Greek mythology. Um, but again, Greek mythology, so it's a Greek word. Yeah. But, but, Peter used it and talked about it being a temporary place of punishment for certain fallen angels who sinned. And there seems to be a connection with the angels who sinned up until the period of the flood. And Jude talks about it in Jude chapter 6, that these angels, fallen angels, are held in chains in outer darkness until the day of judgment. Mm -hmm. Okay, So what some people have tried to do 
Uh, boy, we're really getting out here right now. You know, it, 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 there, there's a, there's an argument that's been around forever that the Bible says that the, the sons of God came down with the daughters of men and, and they got together and got the women pregnant and then they had the giants in the land. And the Nephilim. The Nephilim. I love talking about the Nephilim. You love talking about the Nephilim. <laughs> and so, um, there's this concept. And so that angelic beings took on human form, came down and procreated with women, and then that's where you had these giants. I have a real problem with that. Um, I just, I just don't know that that is what that means because you know Jesus said that when you go to heaven, you're like the angels in heaven. You neither married or given in marriage, and mm-hmm. plus all that goes with marriage. So I just really have a real problem with that. I think, but some say that it is those angels. That God took them because of that crime mm-hmm. and put them in outer dark. So there's some that segment of angels who did that. Okay, maybe that's true. We'll get to heaven and find out. I just have a really struggle with that. Um, but it could be that it, it is those segment of angels who caused the world to become totally corrupt. You know, by the time the flood came, everybody in the world was corrupt. Yeah, except Noah and his family. And so it may have been that the judgment on those angels were they took what God had created that was so good and went on an all-out effort to make every person turn on God and, and utterly cause be the, be the reason that God, the, maybe the driving force behind mm-hmm. why God had to destroy the world with a flood and start over. And so he may, it may be that he put those particular angels, maybe there was a certain segment of angels, that fallen angels that were after this hard, and he put them in this prison. There's got to be some distinction because we know the devil, Satan, Lucifer, who is the head of that, is not in that place. And we know there are demonic beings, which somehow have to be connected as fallen angels. So, uh, you know, there's some things we have answers to and some things we don't. But one day, those angels, and I think it'll be the great white throne judgment, those angels will will be let out and judged and then... That leads us to the third hell. They'll be cast into the hell called Gehenna. Mm-hmm. All right, Gehenna is actually was a place outside of Jerusalem. It was a valley where they burned the trash. The Valley of Hinnom. The, the Valley of Hinnom, and they burned the trash. So there was constant fire and smoke and stench. Well, it started out as a place where they actually made child sacrifices to Baal and to Moloch. And the Moloch, it's a yes. disgusting place, horrible place, a horrible place of of sin mm-hmm. and fire. And and iniquity and smoke and the judgment of God upon something is and so yeah what was there physic and trash mm-hmm. you know, yeah that, that which could was at once beautiful but now destroyed be what a representation of hell is yeah that, you know people who are sin made in the image of God but because of sins destroyed the image and and we've gone after the ways the ways of the world and sin and rejected God and you know Mullock was I think Mullock was a, a demonic idol. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I think the spirit of Mullock, which is still alive today, because d- demons don't die, mm-hmm. so I think the demonic spirit behind Mullock is the spirit behind abortion. Yeah. And uh, anyway, that's a that's a story for another place. Yeah. But but there is a place, and you read about this in Revelation, called Gehenna. Okay, and it's called hell. Gehenna is the lake of fire. So if you ever heard references about the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, mm-hmm. and and that's Gehenna hell. And it's often called the second death, all right? And so this place called Gehenna, if you read Matthew twenty five forty one, was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. Mm-hmm. So we need to make clear today, hell was never created for man. Hell was created for, for Satan. He was the original one. He fell when he sinned in heaven and the demons and the angels and these fallen angels in Tartarus, they're, in, they're locked up right now. God's intention was to send them there, but then He created man, expecting man to live right and serve Him, and instead, we we sinned, yeah, and we failed against Him. So what happened was, because of that, there again we stated there's only two places you could go: heaven or hell. When yeah. you die, God said, "I can't take you into heaven," you know. So I, I, there's only one other option: I've got to send you in place, and you've yeah. got to be punished for your sins. And so we, you're put into a devil's hell. Yep. So when you read Revelation chapter 20, Evan, you read that one day there will be the great white throne judgment. And this, in this day, all of the dead who are sinful will be resurrected out of Hades, lower Hades, and they will stand before God. It may be the only, and I don't know if that will be on the, the earth. Well, I don't think it is. I think it'll be in heaven. Yeah. Okay. 
It'll be the only time a sinful person will get to go to heaven, but it won't be to enjoy its beauty and wonder and spend eternity there. It'll be to stand before God in judgment in a hall, in a courtroom. Mm. And all the dead, the sea will give up its dead, and everybody said, but the, the, the Hades will give up its dead. And, and so Hades will be emptied out, and they will all stand before God. Now, here's what happens. The tribulation period has taken place. You've had the Antichrist and the false prophet, and the Bible says that the Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into the Gehenna, the lake of fire. And then one of the most glorious verses in the Bible says that the devil and all of the demons and the fallen angels will be thrown into the lake of fire. No more devil. Yep. Hallelujah. <laughs> no more devil. Yep. He's gone. Never to be seen again, never to bother anybody again. But then this is the sad part. And then it says that books will be open and the book of life will be open. Now, the book of life is a book, a record that God has of all the righteous. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are some people that think that um, that you, you can be in that book and then God takes your name out as you sin. Other people say you get saved and God puts your name in the book. We don't know. We'll get to heaven and ask God. But what we do know is it is the record of the righteous. Mm-hmm. So books will be open that have records. And you have to understand, when John wrote this, that's all they had was books. Today we would open up files on a computer. But there is a record of all the sins that a sinner has ever committed. And so every sinner that comes out of lower Hades and stands before God, every sin that they've committed will be brought forth in accusation against them, evidence against them. Mm-hmm. Think of the billion, not millions, billions of people. This could take a while. And God will record them. And then after you have been found guilty, and then God will look in the book of life and say, your name's not here. Your sins are in these books of sins, but your name's not in the book of life. And this is the saddest thing that you read in the Bible, one of the saddest things is that in judgment and punishment for your sins, you if you're a sinner and, not, and your name's not, you will be cast into the lake of fire to spend eternity. Yep. What a horrible, horrible thing to think about. Yep. And yet, it is the truth of the Word of God. And um, that will be the final, eternal home of all wicked people who reject Jesus Christ and his salvation. Yep. Sounds miserable. Well, it is. I mean, it's it's just a, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to think about. Um, and there are people, and I think it's worth talking about this. There there are people who struggle with this. There are people who say, "I don't get this." And there have been a couple other alternatives. There are people that believe in what's called annihilation, mm-hmm. and so they think that when you die, you just cease to exist. You're annihilated. So your existence is over. You have no more consciousness. You know, they think that. I guess if you're a sinner. I've heard I've heard annihilation too that you go to hell for a period and then die as well. And that could be yeah, that's a version. There is also with that universalism, mm-hmm. which has gained some momentum in the last few years. Um and universalism basically states that we that the person who who believes in it says I there's just no way I believe that God, a loving God would send anybody to hell. And so universalism says that God will save everybody. Mm. You know, universal being everybody. Yeah. Okay, in the universe. So they're saying somehow, and part of that is that you go to hell for a period of time, I guess for reformation, to be reformed. That it's a purifying fire. And there that you it go. purifies you and then you repent or whatever. And then God then takes you to heaven and be with it. Well, there's, yeah. it's a great thought. You know, that would be a great, but the problem is there's nothing in the Bible that really validates that. As a it, matter, it's never seen as a purifying fire, but a, just simply a place of torment, of a place of judgment. Of really. judgment, and it's always seen as permanent and eternal. Yep. Okay, so it's never seen as temporary. So that's why um, universalism is dangerous, because then people get a pass. They say, yeah. well, it doesn't matter how I live now. You know, I have to serve God, because even if I do, I'll go to hell for a while, but then God will straighten me out in hell, and then I'll go to heaven. Yeah. And that's a very, very dangerous concept. But there are people who say, you know, I just can't handle that. I just can't handle the fact that my unsaved brother, I know he's an alcoholic, and I know he won't go to church, and I know he cusses, and he, boy, he'll steal, and he just won't serve God. And he could. He knows better. But he, I just can't grasp the fact that my, my biological brother is going to go to hell. I just, I'm not going to believe that. Well, you can choose to ignore it all day long, but it's a sad 
sobering reality. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it any less true. No. You know? And 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 here's the thing: we have one of our staff members, Pastor Billy Jump. He, you guys did the Apostles Creed mm-hmm. series on the Apostles Creed. Well, you separated the responsibilities between three of you pastors and poor Billy. He's our minister of music, <laughs> but Billy preaches. He got hell. He, he got, got hell and heaven. Hell and heaven. So he got the best of both worlds, I guess, as far as preaching, or the worst of both worlds and the best of both worlds. But he was struggling with preaching. He said, man, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, how am I going to preach on hell? And I give Billy some advice that I want to say here on the podcast, yeah. Evan. I told him, I said, Billy, do all your studies, preach the word, but preach like you don't want him to go there. Mm-hmm. Preach like you don't want anybody to go to hell. I have heard preachers preach like they want sinners to go to hell. Yeah. That's 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 not love. Love is you you preach the truth. It's real, but you preach like you don't want anybody to go there. Yeah, get saved and give your life to Jesus Christ. And so, um, when you begin this this podcast and said, "Is you know how important is this?" That's why because you're talking about eternity with God. Yeah, um, I think we ought to address something. You and I can talk about it. What do you do with the person who says, um, "How could a loving God send anyone to hell?" Yeah, um, I I think it's one of those things that's more simple than we make it out to be, and I think I think it's as simple as this: God doesn't send people to hell; people choose to go there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, people choose to go there. It is um, it is choosing to be eternally separated from God. And so, right now on this earth, if you don't want to be united to God, if you don't want to submit to His lordship, if um, you don't want to be forgiven of your sins, you're choosing to separate yourself. From God, and at the end of the day, God will give you what you want. <laughs> at the end of the day, He will give you what you want. I think we see that in Romans chapter one, where it says that God gave them over, gave them over. to their sin. Yeah. And at the end of the day, He's going to do that. And I think C.S. Lewis in the Screw, Screw Tape Letters uh, book of his has a fantastic quote. He said, "There are only two kinds of people in the end: those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, In the end, Thy will be done." Yeah. I think that's it. I was studying for this, and I, I was reading uh, actually in a. It was in a theological work and uh, systematic theology, and I, I thought that the person who was writing and dealt, dealing with this said something very similar, very powerful. That sin consists in a person choosing to go his or own his or her own way rather than to follow God. Mm-hmm. That that's sin. And so throughout life, a sinner tells God, leave me alone. Okay? Hell, uh, 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 the absence of God and his people and righteousness, is God giving the sinner at last what they've always asked for. Yeah, which is God, get away from me. Leave me alone. Yeah. Leave me alone. So God says, okay, then you die. So on earth, he leaves you alone. You die. Well, what do we do with you now? You can't stay on earth. You're dead. Now, in eternity, God says, okay, I'm going to leave you alone. Yeah. But you can't just float out around out there in the ether. You've got to go somewhere. Yeah. And you can't go to heaven because you don't qualify. And I'm there. And, yeah. And you don't want to be there with me. You've always said, leave me alone. Because if you go there, you've got to live right, and you've got to be righteous and and serve me. And if you don't want to do that, you didn't on earth. So, And I think the irony is you have people who want to live any old way and live in sin on earth, but somehow they still want to go to heaven. Isn't yeah. that funny? Yeah, they I want mean, they want God to be a friend. Friends with benefits is what they want. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. And then they want God to somehow make this exception as I get to do what I want my whole life, mm-hmm. but then when I die, let me in heaven. Yeah. You know, who wants to go to hell and fire and pain and torture? I don't want that. I don't want to go to heaven. But you can't do that. And so you're saying to God, leave me alone. And then when you die, God says, okay, I'm going to leave you alone eternally. And God, like you said, God doesn't choose hell for you. You choose it for yourself. Now, why why would God not reconcile them? Why not a purifying fire? Why not um, you know, figure out a way to reform rather than, than, than judgment? Here's why. Instead of purifying fire and reformation, you have the purifying blood and redemption. Hmm. If, you, if Jesus and what he did on the cross can't save you, then spending time in hell is not going to save you either. Yep. You know, when the rich man was in torment, he said to, to Lazarus, you know. He said, go send go Lazarus send, from the dead yeah, to God, tell my family. Yes, get Lazarus, go back and tell my, and uh, he said they have Moses and the prophets. Mm. 
And he said, no, but if somebody from the dead goes back and tells them, they'll get right and they won't come here. And he said, if they don't listen to the word of God, how are they going to listen to my, the Lazarus' word or anybody else from the dead? I think that's so interesting. He says, yeah, if they don't listen to Moses, they won't listen to somebody who comes from the dead. I think it really points out the hardness of heart of, of a sinner. And then obviously Jesus comes back from the dead. Yeah. And it's a clear historical event. And yet there are people who still... You know, even in that day, would deny that he came back from the dead, even from appearing to so many people. And I think that's an interesting illusion that Jesus has come back from the dead and has announced his message. And it doesn't matter; people will do what they want to do. They do what they want to do. And I'm going to go back and address it again. You know, why not the purifying fire and temporarily and reform me and let me go to heaven? It's not God's way. It never has been God's way. Mm-hmm. God's plan of redemption has always been through the blood. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God took two animals, and I think they were probably firstborn lambs, and he killed them and gave them covering physically, but he also gave them covering spiritually because they had sinned. Mm-hmm. And when it says that they were they were naked and not ashamed, and then they became they realized they were naked and became ashamed, there's more to that than just physically being exposed. Yeah. It has to do there's a greater understanding that they were naked that they were exposed and their sin. There was something impure sin. about them. Yeah. Right. They had sinned, and so they are naked before God. We're mm-hmm. all naked before God. God sees everything. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so they were ashamed because of their sin. They needed covering. Mm-hmm. And so God gave them physical covering with the, with the skins of the animals that he killed, but the blood that he shed gave them spiritual covering yeah. because it, there was a sacrifice to, walk, to cover their sins. Jesus paid the price, and his blood covers our sins and washes our sins. That's what makes us right, and that doesn't reform us. It redeems us. It transforms us. Yeah, And that's why if it doesn't happen on this side of death, there's there's no guarantee that it's going to happen on the other side of death, and it's not God's way of doing it. And I think at the end of the day, too, people who say, why would God not just, you know, just reform them then you know how why would god punish people who just don't believe in him i think at the end of the day the scriptures have made it very clear god gives everyone a fair chance to believe in him it says that he's made himself known his um you know his glory his powers dominion even through nature and through creation that we've all been given a conscience the bible makes it pretty clear like we all have a have an equal chance at understanding that there is a god and submitting to his lordship so it's not like, well, you know, they just didn't believe, and that was against their their own will. They they didn't have a fighting chance, and yet God's going to send them to hell. I think it's pretty clear they have an option there. And so the time of reconciliation is now. Peter says that, um, you know, God's timing's not like our timing. His patience isn't like our patient. patience. Right now, he's waiting to come back because he's being patient. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants everybody to come to life. And so God is waiting right now in this period, giving people a chance to come to him on this earth, and it's a fair chance. So then once they get to the afterlife, you've already made your decision fair and square. Yeah, Peter said God is not slack concerning his promises. Mm -hmm. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the heartbeat of God is that everybody be saved and go to heaven with him. Yeah. That's his heartbeat. But if you don't want to be saved and you reject him, then that it's not going to happen. He is a just God. He can't just bring you in any more than you would let a criminal, instead of sending him in prison, let him come stay in your house. Yeah. I mean, you just that's foolishness, and it's and he's not going to do that. He's a just God. He's a he's a God who's fair. He's a God that does what is right. And so, yet people think, well, does God want to send people to hell? No. No, I think it breaks the heart of God, but he's being he's being a just, holy God and doing what he, he cannot violate his own nature. Mm-hmm. And so people say, well, how can a loving God send me to hell? Well, he's not just loving, he's holy. Yeah. Okay? And, and if you had a criminal that did something horrible, maybe killed one of your family members, just horrible. You know, your mom likes to watch Snapped and all these yeah. investigation discovery. That's not my thing. Boy, she just <laughs> loves that crime. So I told her she needs to go back to college and get her criminal justice degree or whatever. <laughs> And she just gets in all that. And But what if that happened, and then you're there in the courtroom, and the guilty party's there, and the judge says, 
ah, you know what? Today I'm in a good mood. Just you don't have. We're not going to send you to jail, yeah, prison. Just, yeah. Matter of fact, um, I'm going to. Why don't you go stay at that the the home and the family that you 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 wrong uh, wrong? I'm just going to decree that you have to go move in with them. Well, you'd be livid. Yeah, you know, and that's what I'm talking about. You expect justice from the judge, okay? He would not be loving if he let the criminal go. Yep. You know, so how can a loving God send a sinner to hell? Same way a loving judge says, I, I can't let you back out in society. I've got to put you in prison mm-hmm. or send you to death row. And so you understand that God is loving, but he's also holy. Now, here's a question that I think a lot of people ask that we definitely need to address, and it's this. Why eternal conscious torment? So I'm not asking, you know, maybe I'm not asking biblically, but more philosophically, why not annihilationism? Not why, why not maybe something for a little while and you go away? Why eternal conscious torment? Some people would ask, if I've sinned temporally, if I've sinned just through, some, through things here on earth and then I'm going to die, why do I have to suffer eternally for it? Well, we were made for eternity. And I think that's your starting point is um, that's your that's your design. That you you are an eternal soul, essentially. Right. And some people are dichotomous, which means they believe your soul and body are spirit and body. And then some people are trichotomous, which I am. I tend to think that we're because of scriptures in the Bible that we're body, soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. So if you are a body and a soul and you want to say that the ending of the body can also mean the ending of the soul, then you could come up with this concept that mm-hmm. you're talking about. But if you have a spirit, a spirit lives on forever. So why not the temporariness, why the eternal, is because that's who you are. Do you think that there's a connection between that and being made in the image of God, or do you think that's a stretch? No, I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's part of the that we reflect that that God is eternal mm-hmm. from eternity past, uh, you know, to eternity future. You know, God is God. Now, you know? why is it just though? So that's what that's what I'm asking. Why is it just for God to punish us eternally for temporal sins on earth? I think it's just for God to punish us eternally, just as it is just for God to not punish us eternally uh, and save us and let us spend heaven eternally. I mean, it's just as fair. I mean, is it just for God to take a bunch of sinners and and say, you know what, you're not a sinner anymore. I'm going to justify you and make you righteous and holy uh, well, it's only just because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I think everything goes back to Jesus on the cross and his atoning work for us. So that God could be both just and justifier, he sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sins and then rise from the dead and secure for us salvation. Mm-hmm. And so there is an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven, to spend eternity with God in glorification. It's there, and that's the plan, and that's your purpose from day one. That was the purpose mm-hmm. of God, all the way back to Adam. Okay, sin is not the purpose of God. Okay, so just as God is just in redeeming us in our sins, saving us, glorifying us, and letting us spend eternity in heaven, God is also just to say, if you're rejecting that, then you're going to spend eternity yeah. in hell. I think it's interesting, too, looking at who God is, that God is eternal, and he's also God. He's holy, he's righteous, he's perfect, he's the supreme being. And so, though, yes, you are sinning temporally, maybe the focus should be on the object of who you've sinned against. So to sin against the supreme being, the eternal God, you it, it, it logically follows to reap an eternal consequence. Where if you, um, if you try and kill you know, the president, and if you try and kill a mob boss, <laughs> right? There's two different things there because right. the objects are different. The president is the leader of a country and a government. The mob boss is somebody who bullies people around and kills people. Does it make murder right or wrong? Whatever. But you understand what I'm right. saying. The consequences are different there. For us to sin temporally, yes, it is temporal, but it's against the eternal God. And just the same way that Jesus endured a temporal crucifixion, but it's satisfied an eternal God. And so I think there's a distinction there looking at who are we sinning against. I, absolutely. I, I mean, I, that, I think that comes into play as well. Um, that we minimize sins. 
because we are sinful, mm-hmm. and we live in a world system that's very sinful and encourages sin and condones sin and even legalizes sin. And so it just seems so natural, but it's not. It's not what we were designed to do, and it's being a sinner is not who we were designed to be. But you realize that it is out of the it is out of the norm. It is not natural. It is not acceptable. And every sin is a sin against God. Mm-hmm. Even if you lie to me, God is truth, and God takes it as a lie against Him. Yeah, and as an offense against Him. And so there's an accountability. And I think you know we talked today. There isn't enough talk about accountability. Why would God send me to hell? Because you got to be accountable for your sins. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, we raise our kids, and if they don't do something right, hopefully you spank them, you discipline them. Um, I think that's why the Lord put all that padding in our bodies, <laughs> because sometimes you just need a good spanking. Yeah. I mean, I deserved every spanking I ever got, except one. I got one that Sonia got. Sonia did it. Mom and Dad thought I did it, and I got a spanking. Uh, I'm, I'm bitter. Sonia's called out. Sonia's called out my <laughs> sister, and I'm just bitter. But every spanking I ever got, I'm, I, I deserved it. Mm-hmm. And, and But Mom and Dad knew I had to be accountable and so we we have to give an account. The mm-hmm. Bible talks about that. That one day you have to stay and give an account before God for the things done in the body. Mm-hmm. So what's done in the body, Evan, has eternal ramifications. Yeah, that's something to think about. That ought to make you think that just me drinking and running around and doing whatever I want and stealing from people, and lying to people, and cheat, cheating people. What you're doing in the body, hey, it's it affects eternity. Remember, you're going to be resurrected and judged. You will be judged in the body, right? And a body that can burn in hell for eternity. Mm-hmm. What a horrible, horrible thought that will never burn up, but still feel the pains of the flames. Yeah. That sounds like a, a, a horrible place I never want to end up. And I think when you get the proper reality of what hell is, of the anguish, of the torment, um, the, I think it, it fuels you to not want to see anybody go there. I think it changes you as a Christian. I think that's why you said universalism is so dangerous because it leads to just doing what you want. But on the other end, when you like fully accept and understand the reality of hell, it does something to you where you're going to do everything you can to make sure nobody goes there. And I think that's why for us as Christians, it's helpful um, to get that that firm grounding and that firm reality because it may completely change the way that you live your well, life. It, it certainly can be a force for evangelism. Mm-hmm. If, if you love somebody and you don't want them, you know, if I'm, a, if, if, if I'm going by a friend's house and the house is on fire, it's at night and they're asleep. I'm not going to say, boy, I hope they wake up. I hope they get out. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go over there and bang on the door, and ring the doorbell and bust a window mm-hmm. out and scream and yell and try to get them out. I mean, that's the way we got to look at people with hell. If you've got somebody that's in sin, you know, that if they die, they're going to go to hell there should be a motivation to share the gospel with them and say, look, you don't have to do this. You can be saved. There's a way out of this. So it can be uh, something of a motivation. And I just think you and I talked about this. If we're going to conclude this, boy, the best way to conclude this today is just to say hell is real. And I know we might have some, we might, we might have somebody saying, man, I can't believe they're talking about this. You know, I, I enjoy the theology, but come on guys, you really think there's a hell we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, just you're going to have to accept that today. That's, that's what we believe because the Bible says it. But Jesus Christ came to this earth and suffered a horrible, ignominious death, a horrible death. It's just the pain and suffering that he went through, he died and he rose again so that nobody has to go to You don't have to go to hell. Yeah. That's the good news is that you can be saved, you can be right with God, you can enjoy heaven now by walking with God in relationship mm-hmm. and then have the assurance that when you die and you breathe your last breath of uh, terrestrial air, your next breath is celestial air in Ooh. heaven with Jesus forever. <laughs> I mean, man, that's what we want to, that's what we want to yeah. end today. You don't yeah. have to go to hell. Make the choice. Choose you this day who you will serve. Yeah. Serve God. That's good. That's good. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce a brand new segment. Uh, We'll keep it going for a while. At the end of Let's Talk About God, that we're just simply uh, calling our Babylon Bee segment. We're going to take a look at a Babylon Bee article, one that we find like particularly funny, and, uh, and, and just talk about it for just a second. If you don't know what the Babylon Bee is, 
Um, you've probably seen it. It's a Christian news um, satirical website. And so all of the articles that they write are fake. It's satire. It's parody. Fake They're, news. Yeah, it's fit fake news. They're making fun of stuff. Um, you, <laughs> wait, wait, stop. Do your Trump impersonation again. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> We're going from this horrible, horrible sober topic. subject horrible of hell topic. into this, into <laughs> the comedic state right now. But let's go for it. We'll lighten things up yeah, a little oh bit. Oh, yeah. End it on a high note. But the, uh, you've probably seen somebody, and I hope not, but maybe you've been duped by the, by the Babylon Bee. For some reason, Christians are really bad with the satire. And I remember there was one Babylon Bee article like back when they started <laughs> – and they said the Elevation Church introduced a new slide baptismal pool where you would go down a water slide into the baptismal pool. And I saw so many people on Facebook going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they do this in God's house and took it like so seriously like it's something real. I had that happen to me. It I, is not real. I had somebody get tore all up out of oh, the it gets frame some, about like, messed up. It, it wasn't that. It was something else. And I'm like, no, I, I don't think that. Oh, yeah, I saw an article, so I went and looked it up, and it was the Babylon Bee. <laughs> I said, look, that is satire. They make that up. Yeah. That's not true. It's for, it's be, they're being funny. Yeah. And they said, oh, I did. I thought it was for real, and I just that was yeah. I had actually had to straighten somebody else about that. Don't get duped anymore. But um, no, I was looking, and I thought this was a uh, a particularly good article for today's subject. Here's the title of the article. It says, church kicks off fun-filled sinners in the hands of an angry God-themed VBS. And the caption says, pretty much anything that involves fire, we got it. Oh, no. <laughs> and there's a picture with Jonathan Edwards there. And it says, join us for a fun-filled week. Games, prizes, fire. <laughs> and so our listeners are probably going, huh? What? Jonathan Edwards was a preacher in the United States of America back in the, what, 1700s? The 1700s, while we were the colonies. Still. While we were the colonies. And he had a church and I think it was in Massachusetts. It was Connecticut. Connecticut. And um, great pastor, great mm -hmm. church. And he writes this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sounds encouraging. And it was a long sermon, and it was like manuscripted, and he read it. Yep. And he got up, and he's talking about – and it, it was what we would call today a fire and brimstone message. Yep. And he was very sincere. He was – he came with a heart burdened yes. for the lost, and he preaches about we're like a spider on a spider web dangling over the flames of a fire, mm. and it just as easy as the fire could melt that that spider web and that fire spider fall into the flames and be consumed. So sinners are in the hands of an angry God dangling over the flames of hell, and wow. you're going to fall. And I mean, he preaches this that kind of a. And they said people were falling out of their seats in the floor and crying and running to the altar and wow. weeping and repenting and it was just this this thing. So anyway, that's why <laughs> that's where they came from. So you can imagine taking that sermon and using it in vacation Bible school <laughs> for your eight year old. For, for your eight year old. <laughs> So that's why it's funny is that they would just do that and they just come up with the craziest things. If you're at High Praises, if you're a member here, we hope that your kids enjoyed the Out of This World camp. But next year, Pastor Amy is doing a Sinners in the Hands of an Angry Sinners God camp. So just make sure you get ready for that. We're going to have a flamethrower. We're going we're gonna to cut the AC off in the middle of July. It's going to be awesome. Just Your kids are never going to quit serving God after this one. No, no. <laughs> I will tell you right now, parents, that's not going to happen. <laughs> But you should still go read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God just to get an idea of how uh, how wild yeah. that sermon was, the was imagery intense. there. And it was intense, but hey, it, it broke out in revival. Broke out of revival, it did. Not saying maybe this is the greatest like one-on-one -on -one evangelism tool, but it can show you how sincerely, how honestly, how informed with a pure heart talking about hell, talking about judgment can actually strike people in the heart and uh, and, and, and get at something that they need to hear. As long yeah. as it's presented in a loving way. Yeah, with well, a way that says, please change your life. Don't go there. Yep, exactly. Yep. Well, look, we hope that you have enjoyed the podcast today. We hope that you have been, been enjoying the podcast. If you would, as always, subscribe, stay up to date on all the podcasts, rate us, um, send this to somebody 
that that needs this podcast. I know I've talked to a lot of people. They said they're playing catch up. Um, I know that we've got a lot now, and um, and and they can be long. So I just want to encourage you: go back, maybe pick the ones that you're really interested in, or maybe that you don't know a whole lot about, and play some catch up there, and and, and do your best to check us out, and then. Uh, maybe if you've got a, a long car ride or uh, you're, you're going on vacation, maybe you can knock out a couple of them. But thank you so much for tuning in. We're, we're hoping that uh, these podcasts are helping you um, and, and that they are growing you in your faith. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>